You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Guide to Midnight Cinema. This is episode 436. I am Lars William. Across the border from me, a few states over, left, and you get to Pennsylvania royalty with our good friend Todd. Todd, welcome back as always. Hello, hello. Uh, Todd, uh, we're clearly not British, (laughs) but clearly very handsome and charming, so we take it. Todd and I, we should say, are at different ends of the fatigue spectrum. I didn't get enough sleep. He hasn't gone to sleep yet. So Correct. typically when we record to pull back the curtain, he's just got enough work, and I've uh, gone to bed around 12 or 1. And uh, Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm professionals, the show must go on. Let's talk about uh, this week's show. Uh, as I say that, the professionals have an alarm going off. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. True to form. So, uh, this week's episode was actually going to be... Well, one of the films was going to be a Christmas episode uh, right. film. The yeah. Prodigal Son, directed by Sam Hung. <clears throat> uh, 1981, I should say. And, uh... Go ahead. Was that 81 or 92? Because I got multiple years on that thing. No, it's 81. Is it? Okay. Yeah. And then uh, we fast forward four years, head to Italy... And uh, we are going to be talking about Dario Argento's Phenomena. So some GGTMC favorites on this week's show. Um, it feels very much like one of our episodes. A little, little Golden Harvest, almost the Chaw Brothers. A uh, little uh, 80s Argento. Um, so it should be fun to talk about these two. Uh, Sammy, of course, can't be with us today. Um, he's... Uh, He's hauling some explosives through the South American jungles. Wasn't too many men for the job. He was one of them. So hopefully he'll be back with us uh, very soon. Uh, what have you been watching lately? 
Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, let's see. I caught up with Sicario 2, uh, Day of the Soldado. Oh yeah. Uh, you were not a fan of this one, as I understand it. No, I liked Benicio a lot in this. Um, there's elements I liked, but I felt it was very heavy-handed. And something happens at the back end where it cheapens... Something gets cheapened significantly. And that feels very much Hollywood to me. And I rolled my eyes. like I wanted to walk out of the theater. But I think Del Toro's performance and Brolin is tremendous as well. Yes. Yeah, well, that's the kind of thing that I enjoy the most about these movies, clearly. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, they are heavy-handed. I mean, their subject matter alone uh, brings that with it. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, it... Um, and I know exactly the moment that you're speaking about, but yes, and I, and I, and I, I agree. But it was also, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you on that. Um, that being said, though, I did enjoy it a good bit. I mean, just as a, as a not really fantastic uh, sequel to a movie that I really, really like. Uh, so on the, on those on those uh, terms, um, you know, I, I dug it quite a bit. Uh, but I could, I completely can understand uh, other people not uh, not being into it too much. Nice. Uh, brings me around to 1970 and Costa Gavras, uh, The Confessions. Nice. And I gotta say, I mean, aside from the editing, uh, this one just I found myself, you know, staring at my watch uh, for a lot of it because it's just so. It felt so labored. Uh, the way that it uh, it progressed, and I get it. I mean, I, I get you know what he was doing and all that stuff. It just didn't really capture me uh, the way that I was kind of hoping that it did. Um, so, uh, not the best cost of robbers uh, movie, in my opinion. Uh, caught up with Hotel Artemis uh, from 2018, and uh, this was actually a lot of fun. I mean, it doesn't really break any new barriers uh but it looks really nice um it's got a, a nice little premise behind it uh and some nice twists and uh, a couple of decent performances uh kind of short enough jody foster dave batista and the um uh the main character uh sterling brown i believe uh and you know jeff goldblum shows up uh the big downside to this is that Charlie Day also shows up. Um, oh, man. Yeah, there's that, but it, it, kind, of, it, kind, of, uh, it kind of works itself out. Uh, uh, and then followed that up with Pitch Perfect 3, which was an okay finish up to the, uh, the series. Uh, not as much fun for me as the first two. Uh, and certainly it's... Uh, it's worn out. It's uh, it's welcome. They really kind of wrung every last uh, drop out of this uh, this franchise that they possibly could, and it shows. Uh, this is very much a repeat of the second one. Um, still okay, uh, but not uh, not knocking you know knocking my socks off. Speaking of knocking my socks off, I caught Spider. Are you rolling a piece of paper into a typewriter? Um. Wow, that microphone is incredibly sensitive. Yes, I was. I got a deadline. I got a deadline. <laughs> My apologies. Carry on. Scoop. You got a scoop, a hot scoop. Hey, Chief, I got a scoop. Um, I caught up with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. 
Uh, yes. And wow, did I like this thing. Uh, you know, heartfelt. Uh, some great, uh, some great characters. Uh, they kind, of, you know, they expanded out the different varieties of, uh, of Mr. Spider, um, which well, I kind of get a little weary of the amount of superheroes that are all on, like the same uh, banner um, because you know once you have like 10 Hulks or you know 15 uh, uh, Batman then it, it all kind of tends to uh, dilute the franchise in my opinion especially since the main characters are so compelling in the uh, in the uh, to begin with, that they've you know they've carried these franchises for what fifty years, fifty plus years, seventy years, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was uh, this was really fantastic, and it brought a nice uh, origin story to uh, a new character with Miles Morales, as well as the other characters. You know that, that plays it touches on just enough. Although I was kind of surprised that the uh, the Asian girl got uh, pretty much short shrift all the way through it. Uh, she's the one you don't really hear too much about when uh, when people talk about this thing. Um, so that's just the point of uh, the point out. But other than that, yeah, no, I love this thing. The, the style is amazing. I can understand completely certain people being driven off by the style because it is very frenetic. It is very dynamic, um, but it's also very, uh, I guess you could call it spastic uh, in certain uh, certain. Ways. So I, I could understand that, but I think that the uh, the main story. And what it's saying uh, is really, you know, transcends uh, that and works well with uh, the uh, the style that they they used on this. In, interestingly, sorry, I, I might as well talk about this one now because I don't know that I talked about it on the show. I don't believe so. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, we also saw this over the Christmas break, and I remember seeing the trailer for this. Maybe even it was like a teaser. I can't recall. It was some time ago, though. And I could not have been less interested. Based Me on, neither. Oh, man, they cut a bad trailer for this thing. Oh, they did. And it's funny. There's times where films just don't seem to... Yeah, whoever's cut the trailer... Like, I've even seen where I went to show... I went to show someone, Ikiru. Someone that was just kind of, you know, getting into Japanese film, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And... Um, Please tell me they loved it. Well, they haven't watched it yet. <clears throat> but I was oh, trying to show them a trailer. I was trying to get them into some Italian cinema... And uh, some Japanese cinema. And I don't know that. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know the trailers from those times. Uh, it wasn't an art form. Right. Yeah. It wasn't. Not. A, not yeah. Not, not uh, probably not the '80s, right? Probably the '80s. Yeah. It really became an art form in terms of the editing. Editing. Well, got, late '70s. Yeah. Late '70s into the '80s. Yeah. But I would argue even. I would say even more '80s. Obviously, talking about the trailer versus the film, because the '80s brought a lot more quick cuts in the editing. Yeah, so it allowed you to kind of storytell a little bit with more economy, um, I think. But uh, I've seen a lot of '70s film trailers that are terrible, and yeah, I, yeah. you know, I mean, even '80s. But, but I, yeah, this trailer I could not have been less impressed. And sure enough, um, heard a lot of great things in the community, and I was like, man, we gotta see this. So, oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> um, and I could not have been more impressed with this thing. Our whole family adored it. Um, it's got this weird. The, the animation's tremendous. I think it's groundbreaking, or, or it feels maybe groundbreaking, maybe game-changing in some ways. The way it, it presents uh, comic book 
on the film on the screen and uh, it almost felt like to me and someone else had, had said the same thing that I thought when we walked in that we'd gone into a 3D screening by mistake yeah, because yeah. sometimes some of the the um, background is blurred out in the way a comic would. It's uh, yeah, and it's interesting. It's interesting that you say that because uh, I thought that at certain moments the backgrounds were so photorealistic mm-hmm. that it really kind of brings home to me uh, the fact that so many movies now are really just cartoons uh, with a couple of live people <laughs> here and there. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Or worse. For sure, for sure. Um, but this was a this was a lot of fun. High recommend uh, for me, and then we'll get back into you. But I had said to my wife at the time, I thought it was kind of, and my kids, I said it was ironic that it seemed like after all these years, Marvel finally got an animated film right. And I have not seen Aquaman. I have not either. But a uh, fair bit of positive buzz, and it seemed like ironically DC finally got a live action film right. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. save for the Nolan stuff, right? But, um, yeah, it was just interesting that at the same time Marvel got an animated film right and DC got a, a live-action film right, so... Or at yeah. least from all accounts, so... Yes. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, followed that up with some light... Uh, some more light material, 1972's State of Siege, another Ooh, Costa Garbus yeah. uh, film. Uh, and this one I really, really like. It's a good one. Um, yeah, I, it was just amazing. Um you know, Yves Montan, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, you know, does a, it gives a great performance. Uh, it's great watching um, watching how this thing kind of twists around and the way that they kind of lay out uh, the interrogations uh, versus the sort of procedural uh, aspects going on. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's it's Gavris, so it, it, of course, is heavily, 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 heavily political. Um, but I don't think that you have to be politically minded or uh, feel a certain way politically to be able to uh, enjoy this movie and appreciate it for what it is, uh, which is, of course, some, you know, brilliant filmmaking on a uh, very tight budget, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, no, good one. Uh, Good, good on you, Mr. Gavris. That's a thumbs up here. Um, and then I went to Leviathan, the story of Hellraiser, uh, part oh, one. Oh, yes. On your, your little shutter uh, thing there. <laughs> and I like this okay. Uh, okay. It is it is very heavily detailed. It is. Uh, and that's For I, better or worse. Well, that's the thing. Is that uh, you know, as much as I appreciate being able to hear uh, all this minutia, it also becomes a bit long in the tooth uh, the way it drags it uh, drags it around, uh, and it's not particularly inventive in either its editing or its uh, the way that it's shot. Presentation. Um, or... Yeah, presentation. Sure. sure. Um, I, I am going to be watching the second one. Obviously, uh, well, I should say part two. Oh, they made a second one. Well, yeah, there's one about this. It's a uh, Hellraiser and uh, Hellbound, uh, Hellraiser two, oh, okay. uh, and the second one is coming to Shutter, I think, you know, uh, just a short while, I believe, if if it's not up already. I watched um, it. I want to say I watched it when I was wrapping. I was doing something that wasn't really demanding, so if anything, right. it it almost. Well, that that I could see because it almost would play like uh, a, a like podcast a, or something. 
well, or even like a, a commentary commentary track, track. watched a million times sure right and i think that's maybe why i was maybe more forgiving with it was i there was a lot of stuff i didn't know about the film i haven't revisited hellraiser a lot um, uh the first one i i still think is pretty damn good the second one i haven't watched in years and when i say i haven't revisited them it's not because i don't think they're incredible i think the first two are great and i think they really um represent the genre well but it's just it's heavy material, and oh, yeah. I'm not in the mood to watch Uncle Frank and you know the, the just was it Julia the stepmom that just yeah, yeah. bashing dudes heads in with heads in with it just I gotta be in the mood, and uh, my kids are not watching that one for years. Uh, that yeah, one's at least a couple, least a couple years. Yeah. That one, yeah, left a, a an imprint on me. Um, with uh, you know I was going through my parents went through a divorce, and it was. Uh, you know that one, uh, yeah, kind of hung hung with me a little bit, and because yeah, I could it, see, I could see that yeah, no, it totally did, and uh, it was it was. I mean, it's an excellent film, but it's just not one. It's not like uh, <laughs> it's not Night of the Creeps or you know Fright Night or something where you can revisit it very often. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not light horror. It's a it's, very. It's very much yeah. I mean, and it's even. I mean, in some ways, it it. it plums the depths or minds sort of emotional horror in a way that a lot of other horror films at the time weren't right they were looking more on very yeah. immediate visceral impact um, well it's very very mature it's uh, very it mature deal, it doesn't deal with teenagers on a campus getting no. naked and drunk and getting slashed up it's not that kind of horror. no it's an adult uh, themed proper horror. yeah um anything else no sorry sorry okay uh, no no problem uh Followed that up with George Clooney's Suburbicon and holy shit, this is a dog. Did he direct it? I really was hoping for more from this thing. Uh, you want to talk heavy-handed? Uh, this is heavy-handed. This is about as heavy a hand as you could possibly have on a film. Uh, it is blunt. Uh, it is... I think that there was... There is a really nice, dark comedy slash noir hidden in here uh, but Clooney just strangles the shit out of it with his message oh, boy. Um, and it just all feels so arbitrary and so just flimsy and uh, I, I really wanted to like this thing more than I did but it's just it's a stinker in my opinion uh, not very good at all it looks nice um, and that, uh, you know, there's uh, a couple of okay performances. Um, Julianne Moore is pretty good. Um, As is always the case, usually. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, but other than that, yeah, no. Uh, avoid. Um, I didn't annoyed. I didn't know he directed this. I, I just... Yeah, I'd heard was, such uh, mixed things, and I thought, oh, you know, I, I, I've, I've, excuse me, I've been going through some uh, Damon fatigue for the past three or four years. So I just, you know, I wasn't all that keyed into it anyway, but I'll definitely be avoiding now. Right, right. Uh, yeah, no, I would not. Uh, yeah. Even though, uh, you know, it was the script was uh, at least, well, I think a version of the script was written by the uh, Cone brothers. Um, it just really doesn't. Yeah, and you could see where the two mo the two movies that this thing was trying to be just kind of buttheads constantly. Mm. Um, so sadly. And then moved on from that. Uh, I had been meaning to revisit the Chinatown Kid uh, for many, many years. Uh, ever since I saw it, the first and only time, way, way, way back when, on I think it was WNYW, uh, 
uh, Channel 5 out of New York when they would do their Kung Fu theater and on Saturday afternoons. And, uh, you know, I always remembered about this one, uh, Alexander Fusheng, or just Fusheng if you prefer, um, and his, uh, his sleeveless uh, denim shirt vest <laughs> thing. Uh, and, and I remember there being a whole lot of sweat in this uh, in this thing, a whole lot of oily uh, oily bodies, thrown fists, and so I was like, okay, well I saw that it was on Amazon Prime, uh, and so I threw it on, and kind of disappointed in the rewatch. Uh, it is very very much more focused on the melodrama uh, than it is on any sort of action, uh, even though. Pretty much all the Venoms, uh, save for the Snake, uh, which I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, as always, uh, show up in here, uh, and they're always a welcome sight. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, everybody does what they do well in Shaw Brothers movies, uh, but at the same time, I don't think they're given enough of it to do, uh, and certainly it just is more about, uh, well, like I said, the melodrama of it than it is about anything else. It's got a horrible soundtrack, too. Uh, horrible score. Um, <laughs> which may or may not have been stolen from various sources. But regardless, uh, this thing just, yeah, I was I was really kind of disappointed. It's middling at best. Uh, not Chang Che's best uh, film. And I know a lot of folks kind of tend to veer away from him because of his uh, kind of focus on melodrama more than anything else. Um, and certainly this is amplified. I think in this particular movie. Uh, moved on from that to the Meg, 2018, uh, and this thing was another one. It was just kind of like eh, it happened. It's a movie, technically. Um, you know, these filmmakers who uh, who made this thing, they really kind of learned nothing from uh, Spielberg. And with CGI, the shark is always working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so. You see it like every three seconds, and it really dilutes it. And I guess that's kind of the whole point, because uh, you know the whole point of the film is that oh, this thing is way bigger than Jaws. Look how much bigger than Jaws this is. Look, here's this giant shark, that's way bigger than Jaws. Oh God. Uh, and then they kind of turn it into a super cartoon uh, by the end, which is kind of like a um, a giant tinfoil ball. Uh, loaded up with every shark movie you've ever seen before, plus probably a couple of Fast and Furious films. Um, yeah. For better, well, I'm not even going to say Not that even for, for better. Worse. For it's, worse. Yeah, it just was not that great, uh, in my particular opinion. No, I'm with you. We started the drive-in, so we were definitely in the right frame of mind to kind of be slack in how critique, how, how yeah. critical we were going we were going to be. And you know, Statham, Statham, right? So he's as much as you know, he's kind of become like. Um, Bronson or one of these guys that's kind of his own brand and you know if you you know you're going to be forgiving with their films just because you're, you're going to see it for them essentially um yeah this one really I mean for me it was like a five at best at best yeah no that's what um, I and it was incredible like, to me and I'd said this for Skyscraper and I this and, and I shouldn't even have to qualify this um because it's certainly not anti-Chinese sentiment I adore you know speaking of which we're covering a Hong Kong film today but the it seems like the stipulation that um, the sort of national agenda for Chinese funding for films nowadays and how it's crossover in Hollywood yep. it sticks out like a sore thumb to me and it really yes. brings the film to a halt yep. and it does Ryan it in, it does it in this as well and 
I'll be honest, like all of I'm gonna start avoiding films. I used to get excited seeing sort of like a pan Asian, a pan, like a, a global cast, right? And I'm all for um, seeing a diverse uh, multicultural cast. It's great for kids here. It's great for kids in China, but um, they got to stop. It, it just reeks too much of nation, Chinese nationalism in the films. And you could make an argument about sort of, you know, Rambo and all these American films. We get on that rabbit hole too with sort of the flag waving. But this is just, a, it's kind of a bit of a different thing. And the, the, the Chinese funding in these action, American action films just, yeah, it brings them to a halt. And yep. it's enough for me to, to tune out when, uh, whenever I, I sense it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the Meg happened. Um, and then yeah. I watched Black Klansman, and I enjoyed the crap out of it. It was good. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought that, you know, and I've I've seen people saying that the very 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 end of it is kind of what Lee does uh, in his kind of um, you know poke the bear sort of uh, way. But I thought that the real life epilogue of this thing was really unnecessary. Uh, I think that he managed to say everything that he needed to say uh, throughout the rest of the film. I don't know. I, I don't really know why he felt the uh, the need to suddenly turn everything into you know back to grim reality uh, when he's played the rest of the film uh, fairly lightly, um, even though it does have you know serious aspects to it and serious message to it. Sure. Uh, but uh, but yeah no that that final uh, real life epilogue deal just didn't do it for me I thought it was superfluous I didn't think it uh, it really needed to be there outside of that um, I love this I love the performances I love the story I love the writing um, you know it's as always Lee is certainly uh, a highly skilled filmmaker um, and so yeah no I would absolutely recommend it to anybody but. Uh, well, maybe not a Klansman, but you know anybody else. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, yeah, I just really I, I dug the shit out of it. So good deal. Yeah, it's it's good. It I'd be curious to see what is it John David Washington. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see what he does next because I think this is the kind of film he's winking at the camera throughout. It's a very like meta, and you know everyone's aware of it. That you know, I'm surprised. Well, sure. Sure, everybody's in on the joke because the whole thing is a joke on the clan. So. Precisely, precisely. So I, I'd be curious. No, I do think some of it was a bit, um, a bit too jokey for my taste. But it was quite good. My score's probably just a touch lower than yours. But I'm glad to see uh, Lee making films like this. Um, sure, absolutely. Uh, when I say like this, I just mean making good films. And I do think it's an it was an important timely uh, for him to make this film. I was okay with the the epilogue because I felt like it was a bit sobering for some that may walk out and just kind of put it out of mind whereas he wants to get you to the table with the film and then maybe hit you with that smack you in the face at the end yeah. as opposed to smack you in the face and tune you out right so well, I don't know so, <laughs> I, but yeah huh. I don't know anyway different strokes but it yes. was good I, lo- I love Adam Driver he's become a go-to actor for me um, he's he's fun in the film um, the actress that was in the film, the um, Laura Harrier. Man, oh man! How about that? Yeah, she's dynamite. Good yeah, Lord. she was in uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming. If I'm what? not mistaken, I believe she was in Spider-Man: Homecoming too. If I'm not mistaken. Really? Oh yeah. Wow, I'm gonna uh, have to go back and watch that again because we saw that uh, on the drive-in. Nice. 
so yeah, there was that, and then finished it off with Teen Titans Go to the Movies, uh, and it's uh, decent. Um, I mean, it really kind of is trapped by its nature. Um, I mean, it's already a, a cartoon, and it kind of plays like a uh, an extended episode of the uh, the television series. Uh, it's got a couple of kind of fun little jabs at uh, superhero media culture uh, but outside of that it just kind of moves along in a, in a middle ground uh, not great not horrible um, and it's got yeah it has some decent cameos lifting you know characters uh, that you might not uh, ever see uh, on screen like challengers of the unknown for example uh, and folks of that nature so um, that's all I got man yeah, that's a film that you know. That series itself, to me, is very fatiguing. Yes, like, yeah, I could see that. Well, it 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 just it really it really <clears throat> gets in your face with its hipness. Right, and and I admire its um, hipness, and it, I admire, like you said, that they can they they just keep my head above water with sort of a really deep cut reference now and then. Um, you know, or an episode how it's framed and it's it's you know the same as. Uh, you know, but, it does, uh, but it doesn't really know. I don't think that it really knows how to quite balance its fart jokes with that element of it. Sure, no, that's fair. I mean, it, it does. I mean, they, they do an extended bit here about taking a shit uh, in a not real toilet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just to give you, you know, I'm not sure if my kids have seen it. You know, they went through a little stretch of really liking um, Teen Titans, but uh, interestingly, speaking of Teen Titans. My wife just found a show. I might even be called Titans, or yeah, on uh, DC Universe. Yeah, on it's on Netflix. Have you have you watched this at all, or are we talking about the DC show? Yeah, yeah, it's on Netflix. Is it really? Uh huh. I did not know that. I've watched. I've been watching it on uh, DC Universe. Um, What's that? Yeah. Is that like a it's subscription service? service? Yeah, it's their uh, streaming service. Oh uh, they're wow! Gonna be doing, yeah, they're gonna be doing stuff like. Um, a uh, new series of Young Justice, the cartoon. They're doing mm-hmm. a live-action Doom Patrol, I think live-action Swamp Thing. Oh, wow. Uh, just to name a couple that I know of off the top of my head. I didn't even know that this was a, a thing, like a streaming service that DC offered. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no, That's just cool. started uh, not very long ago. And Titans was a, a Titans was a pretty decent show. I liked it. Yeah, my wife, I think, was looking for one that we could all get into. She's tended to watch more of the like those shows with the kids. She watched The Flash with them. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was a good. Show. I don't know if I don't think they got into Arrow. I don't think really it was kid friendly. And not that well, some of the stuff we watch yeah. is, but um, they watched a couple of shows together. I can't remember what the other one was now, but interesting. Okay, well, we might have to give Titan uh, or Titans, I should say. Uh, it's definitely it's definitely dark. Uh, I will say this: it's more adult hey. uh, than uh, than the the stuff that they play on the CW. Uh, the you know they they throw around the f bomb. A uh, pretty good amount, uh, and it's certainly more violent. Um, yeah, I so saw. Just as, just, as a, just as a little bit of a, a warning for you on that one. No, I appreciate that. But my kids, my younger son, Braden, just proclaimed on Friday night that Quentin Tarantino is now his favorite filmmaker. So he's seen he's seen two films, but and there's enough f bombs in them that. But not that we're gonna make a, a habit of watching his films all the time. No, thanks for the heads up. I I noticed the first episode like. Um, this isn't really a spoiler. Raven's mom gets it in the forehead. 
Yep. So yeah, shit gets real very quickly. But well, uh, that's the other thing is I've been, I've been uh, I I checked out on a whim uh, the Black Lightning uh, show. Oh, I was gonna watch that. Uh, and I wasn't expecting too much out of it, but oh, I gotta tell you, I really dug the first season that they got on Netflix there. You know what happened? I, I liked it a lot more than I anticipated. I've been, you know, really heavily into it. I uh, that whole cast was going to be at the Fan Expo last year, and I was like, you know what? Why don't we watch the show and kind of get brushed up on it, and you know, maybe we can meet them. But uh, they all canceled, unfortunately, for whatever reason, um, and we never watched the show. But I've always meant to watch that one. Yeah, was, no, I'd recommend it. It's a good one. Okay, good. I'll have to. Uh, Keep our eyes peeled for that one. Maybe a good show to watch as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let's see what I've watched. Ice Cream Notebook sadly seems to be a bit, a bit of a thing of the past for us. For me. Um, I talked about Rare Exports. I think that might have been the last one I spoke about. Okay, so Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse I talked about. Okay, so I decided to finally start taking advantage of Canopy. Okay. And, uh, whoa, now it's your turn for once. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, now I know your ringtone. Do you go into, like, full-on, like, stealth mode when that comes on? I, well, yes, I do. Nice, very nice. Not even going to deny it. Actually, my ringtone is, um... Sanford and Son. That's my. That's oh my no way. This is this is yeah. This is my notifications uh, ringtone thingy. Is it finished in a timely fashion? And that that plays. <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately, it just keeps going. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, so the first thing I watched was Shadow Man. Uh, it's a documentary on street artist Richard Hamilton. Okay. Now I will be forthright and saying I didn't really know much about him. Um, you know, you. Lost my train of thought here. What's you know? You think about people like Keith Haring or Basquiat or whatever, and he's kind of this guy was the third guy in sort of that holy trinity of that time. Um, but he didn't quite have the same business sense or those same people in his corner, or he wanted to keep his artistic vision pure. Um, but it was a pretty interesting look at him and his work and his life. Um, a lot of up and down stuff in his life, but oh, it's good stuff. Uh, this was yeah, on Canopy. Uh, kind of opened my eyes to some things. Next up was a documentary called The King. Uh, this is also on Canopy. This, they take a, a oscilloscope, put this out, um, which to me, you know, kind of a decent mark of quality. Um, they get a bunch of celebrities and singers together and they send them across America in a Rolls Royce that Elvis once owned, and they kind of wax on. Elvis and his um, his impact culturally and otherwise on America. Uh, um, at what point he stopped being adored? Uh, sort of, a, they kind of they're going to plumb the depths in a lot of ways uh, on him. Um, this was okay. It there's a few things that are a bit too cutesy for my own taste. Like they get this little teenage, not even teenage, this this young like eight year old country singer in the back seat with musicians and she's singing and it just becomes a bit too precocious for my own for my tastes uh-huh. um there is some interesting things in here talking about elvis but the back third of the film 
shoehorns a lot of political stuff and and it interweaves um maybe elvis's disillusionment disillusionment with the american dream or or us interpreting the american dream kind of gone wrong through elvis and how he embodies america and it, it cuts with a lot of very contemporary footage of um the current president and so forth and uh, well i you know without getting into too much political conversation uh, certainly i'm very critical of, of uh, your current president uh it, it it's very shoehorned and it it doesn't work well and i think it it put me off the documentary um because they're trying to do too many things here i think if they'd have looked at this more in terms of elvis or culturally as opposed to politically i, I don't think they needed to go there to um illustrate what they were going for right well yeah but that's i mean that's, that's kind of the way that's the way these that's the way people do things yeah, now is you know yeah. everything has to i'm not getting into it never mind no for sure but everyone you know that's the way it goes but you know there's some interesting snippets in there and it i think it reminds us and this is going to sound very silly but in the way that all-star superman reminded me um about the humanity and how wonderful superman is mm-hmm. um there's some stuff in here that reminded me of you know about how tragic it was what happened to Elvis. I mean, Elvis was I think forty-two or forty-four, or, or maybe even younger. Uh, no, he was around there, yeah. So you know, looking at that and the kind of life he was trapped in, and it was very sad. And that's an obvious statement, but I think, like, oh, what do you want now, man? Um, <sighs> you end up. I think it it allows me to reflect on things that I sometimes just feel is oversaturated right so to actually reinvest in them sometimes when you look at a song and you kind of approach it with fresh ears and you admire or appreciate it again that's how i kind of felt with some of these elvis specific stuff in this so worth a watch i think but um just be aware that some of the stuff at the back end feels a little shoehorned okay uh next up was mary poppins returns with my uh, my future wife. Yes, indeed. Uh, yes, my indeed. future ex-wife, actually. Future, yeah. So my wife loves Jason Momoa, not my future mm-hmm. ex-wife, hopefully. Um, <laughs> my wife loves Jason Momoa um, to the point where I'm like, you know what? You can go watch it on your own. <laughs> I, I really don't want to watch it. I didn't really want to watch Aquaman anyway, to be honest. Uh, my And thankfully, Braden gave me a note because he had zero interest in seeing it. So we did something we never do as a family. We split the family up. Two of us went to see Aquaman. Two of us went to see Mary Poppins. Um, Braden and I went to see Mary Poppins. William and Teresa went to see Aquaman. So the run times were pretty similar. I think Aquaman's about 15 minutes longer. I got to say, I'm a big Mary Poppins fan. Okay. I mean, I really love Mary Poppins. Uh, not like, you know, obsessive and, you know, I got props and stuff. And But, I, I mean, it's, it's probably like a top three or for Disney film for me. Like, I really adore it. Um, so I was going into this, and I don't love your ex-wife like you love your ex-wife. Uh, I'm very... I'm not going to tell you, don't worry. She's got to prove you, okay, good, please don't. Um, but I was absolutely charmed by this. I really loved it. Braden loved it. I had a grin on my face the same way. I don't want to say it's like seeing in the rain, but you know that, that, that kind of that feeling you get when you watch a really good... Um, like an MGM musical yeah. or something really charming and kind of sweet. That's how I felt with this. Um, it does the same. There's some wonderful, wonderful cameos in this. Um, I think it was it Lynn, Lynn Michael Miranda, Lynn, no, Lynn Manuel Miranda, maybe. 
who was involved in, in um, Hamilton, uh, the Broadway show. Okay. Uh, anyway, he was he's pretty involved. He's like the equivalent of the Dick Van Dyke character in this. Um, he's great. The kids are wonderful in this. It's it's beautifully constructed. Um, I it, there's a good mix of traditional animation and it just it, for me it works. Um, it's Lin Manuel Miranda, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I think I really enjoyed this. I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did. And I'll say this for Emily Blunt. She absolutely nails it. She is pitch, pitch, pitch perfect to the point now where I'm wondering if I have a Mary Poppins fetish. I mean, she's <laughs> well, so good. There's, there's something to be said for that. Something to be said for that. But she's so good and she's so charming in it. And she's just note perfect. And those are big shoes to fill. So yeah. I, I quite enjoyed it, man. I mean, some people might think it's it's lazy or reach. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I had low expectations. I walked in. I walked out charmed with a huge grin on my face. So, cool. nice. so there's that. Uh, next up, did <laughs> did Total Recall with the kids, uh, with the family. Um, I think it was our first movie of the year. It was their first Verhoeven jam. And this one's a little bit, you know, a little bit splattery. Ten four, a little bit splattery. Um, it's Verhoeven, right? So. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, this came out, I want to say, around 90, so I was about 10, and I caught it then. So it's Arnold. I mean, a lot of the stuff you can, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I've seen worse, but Arnold, you know, we're big enough, a big Arnie family, so uh, it held up really well. Um, I hadn't seen it in some time. It was interesting to, for them to kind of fall down like the Russian nesting doll. Is it really happening is it his imagination um you know where does fantasy and reality begin and end so it was uh it was enjoyable uh, next up was when my wife had been craving or uh, wanting to watch a uh, an elvis film for some time it had nothing to do with the elvis documentary i watched and we decided to watch paradise hawaiian style um my wife likes musicals and she likes old um Audrey Hepburn films, and she's into you know, a lot of class. I can usually throw on like a, a Cary Grant or a, you know some of the charming uh, Hawk stuff, or you know I can throw that stuff on. My wife likes it, but she wanted to watch an Elvis film. We threw on Paradise Wine style, um, and we had both seen it before, um, and I'd forgotten I'd seen it until it started. And it's great, um, it's fun. But James Shigata's in this, and he's really fun and charming in it. So. Uh, then we went back to Arnie, from Arnie to Elvis to Arnie, and we did The Running Man. Now, this was a rewatch for William, but Braden had never seen it. Okay. Uh, because Braden passed out one night when we threw on the olive blue. It went over great, uh, as Arnie always does in our house. Mm-hmm. Um, what more can I say? What, what great cast. Have they seen much uh, in the way of recent Arnie, or no? Not- mm. Define recent, like um, Escape Plan or uh, that. Uh, oh, what was the one he did with Johnny Knoxville? The the uh, no the no Korean guy directed. Uh, <laughs> Bong Joon Ho did it. Bong Joon Ho, yeah yeah. And they yeah. haven't seen that one. Are those decent enough? Last Stand, I thought was decent. Escape Plan, eh, it's okay. I think yeah, we'll get to that. even I haven't seen those to be honest with you. So I think we'll get to those at some point. Um, but 
Yeah, so Running Man was a fun rewatch. Next up was my wife's choice. Uh, she wanted to watch A Simple Favor. This is, uh, is it Paul Feig? I never see his name on it. Feig? Feig? Uh, I Fe- pronounce it Feig. That's Feig? Feig works, I guess. Uh, so, um, this film looks great. I don't think it's as intelligent as it thinks it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's some pretty good kind of commentary on modern parenting and suburban life, I guess. Um, it, it was fine. Um, yeah, it, it was fine. It, it, it takes some twists towards the back end that are overly ridiculous, but, you know, it's like a, not Hallmark, but like a life, like a, 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 a very competently made uh, Lifetime movie, I guess you could say. Okay. Like a Lifetime kind of uh, tawdry, you know. It was good, though. It was fine, I guess. Not good. It was fine. Um, what do we do next? It's got one more, I think. Oh, a few more. Yeesh. I gotta go quick. Uh, next up, we did Bandersnatch. Uh, okay. Which is the Black Mirror film. Yeah, okay. Now, I'd be curious what you think about this one. This, to me, is admirable more for its um, its intent than its execution. This is just a quick sell of this for those that are unaware. Um, it's a choose-your-own-adventure film on Netflix. Early 80s England, you're a video game programmer. Uh, you got to make some choices that are going to impact your life and the events of the character, uh, or the sort of the lives of the character that you're, you are essentially. Uh, it was good. Uh, like I said, I like, I admire. I think we're going to see a lot more of these. I know my kids had watched something on like the kids side of um, Netflix that follows the same format. So I think we're going to see more and more of these kind of. Uh, choose your own adventure narratives so uh-huh. interesting well, I mean I, I've watched very little Black Mirror I know everybody goes nuts over it mm-hmm. um, you know and hey you know go nuts it doesn't matter to me um, but uh, I can't say that I was I've ever been particularly blown away by it as a, as a series I mean I understand that you know it's uh, anthology in nature this one kind of does intrigue me because I you know I used to read um, choose your own adventure uh, books, you know, by like the truckload. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be uh, I'd be down for checking this out. I don't. <laughs> the thing here is that it's one of those things. If I do like it, then I'm going to wind up being like, well, I don't have the time. Blah 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 blah. Uh, for you know to to turn into a thing uh, where I'm just kind of going down endless paths with this uh, with this thing. I can say this: we only spent about an hour and a half. Like we re- retraced our steps a couple times. Uh-huh. Um, and after about an hour and a half, we said, "Okay, we're done." Whereas I know Brian Stevens, our friend, mm-hmm. he spent about three hours going down different paths. So you know, you can kind of do as you see fit. But I'd be curious sure. what you think. I, I think you'll probably. I, I think if nothing else, production-wise, it looks really good. It looks like early '80s Britain. Um, it, you can do worse, but again, I think I admire it more for sort of blazing a trail and, and Netflix for being forward-thinking enough to try something new I mean this is this not to overstate it but this could be in a way groundbreaking for streaming services you know mm-hmm. this could be the norm for my kids when they're teenagers right mm-hmm. or maybe even sooner at the rate well, things that, go nowadays yeah and that's that's the thing is that you know I I, I don't know I, I don't know I don't know if I don't know if, I don't know if we need more video games I'll say this to you and I think I, you kind of took the words out of my mouth um, 
and I don't know that I necessarily want everything to turn into tailor-made for all. Uh, right. Because then you take away the sort of auteur and the... the well, you take away its specialness. You take away the specialness and you take away what a film itself is saying or what you interpret it as saying because now you can manipulate it or stack the deck in a way that it says what you want it to say. Yes. Right? So... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah as opposed to being presented to you, you're, you're customizing it too much in a way. Yeah, yeah. Sure. No, that's fair. That's very fair. Um, just a couple more quickly. We did on Netflix. They got all the Lord of the Ring films. I haven't seen them since theatrical. I quite like them, but I mean, yeah. I'm not a fantasy guy, and I know these kind I'm of. I'm not a huge fantasy guy either, but I love those. Movies. Oh no, I do too. Absolutely. When I saw them in theaters, I was blown away. I admired the craft, the, the love. I mean, the the scope. Um, Jackson pulled it off. Kudos to him. Um, but my wife would say, "Yeah, why, why don't we do these with the kids?" And I thought, "Yeah, that'd be great." Um, and, and we watched the first one, and I, I had to kind of say to them a couple of times, this is setting the table for nine hours of film, so, you know, just bear with me. Um, for the most part, the CGI holds up. They quite liked it. There's some parts that are still absolutely exhilarating. Um, Dominic Monaghan's face bothers me more and more all the time. Uh, and I loved Lost, so I don't know how I got through it. With uh, But anyway, uh, that aside... Few parts of CGI don't hold up very well, but then again, that's we're talking like 18 years ago mm-hmm. or 20 probably when it was in production. 19, but uh, no, this this holds up well. Um, I think these are good films. If I wasn't a horror kid as a child, these are the kind of films I'd probably be wanting to show my kids at their age um, mm-hmm. because I feel like there's stakes and there's thrilling stuff. You know, in the way that Spielberg or someone like that would do, where there's real stakes here, but it's not cruel or mean-spirited. Um, so yeah, it held up, and we'll probably keep on trekking with the next few. So, uh, interestingly, Williams a Gimli guy, and Braden's into Legolas, Legolas. So, yeah. Um, next up was when I watched. I was going to do a bunch of running on the treadmill, and I just wanted to do a documentary. Wanted to take advantage of canopy, so I threw in Tough Guys Two, and Guys, of course, G U I S E. Uh, Tough Guys 2, Violence, Manhood, and American Culture. Um, This was really good. Um, It looks at gender roles, assumed, learned, um, taught through media, through society. Um, it's, It's very sad. It's very infuriating. It's eye-opening, some stuff's kind of under our nose. I think uh, I would want to give credit where it's due here. I think this handles it relatively even-handedly in terms of where it is on the political spectrum. I think some would maybe think that it's more of a lefty agenda thing, but um, uh, even as someone who, you know, is left of center myself, uh, I like things to be even-handed in their approach. Otherwise, I think you're going to cheapen what you're trying to say if you're not going to be fair and even-handed. Um this uh, holds both sides accountable, um, and you know it was a very interesting, very interesting piece for me, and I'm, I'm glad I caught it. Um, finally, we did Kill Bill Two. Um, <laughs> the kids have been banging on the door for this one because they'd seen the first one. Um, they loved it. William now likes Part Two better. Braden okay. likes part one better. 
Okay. I'm going to guess you like, hmm. Do you like part two better? Uh, you know, I, honest to God, I, I think that uh, they're pretty equal in my uh, in my own opinion. Um, uh-huh. I mean, as much as part one is all style, uh, part two is all character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's really, I, I think it's the kind of movie that if you watch it back to back, you really do get a full picture uh, much more than watching it in pieces, which is why I'm still astounded that they haven't put out the whole bloody affair. Yeah, I know. Um, but regardless, uh, yeah, no, I, I honestly, I honestly really can't uh, choose between the two. Yeah, as far as which one I prefer. The gap has closed for me, I think, in seeing them both now. Um, we reviewed them on a show, I don't know, five years ago or so, maybe six years ago, and at the time, maybe even, God, maybe even like seven, eight years ago. At the time, Kill Bill was still my favorite film, or close to it. There wouldn't even make my top 50 nowadays. Um, uh, like I've often said, I look at Tarantino like my my high school crush, my high school sweetheart. Uh, loved them, but... Uh, well, he's certainly been kind of, yeah, going... Uh, yeah, I feel like his stuff for me. I want different things from cinema that he's that he's willing. I want to say better things. I want to say yeah, I want well, different no, things. I think, yeah, it's different things. Uh, I don't think that he is very eager uh, to want to mature uh, in certain aspects. Um, not like we would like him to. Not like we would like to see him grow and go into different uh, different paths. Uh, mm-hmm. Would be my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that necessarily makes you know. It's not necessarily a, that doesn't make him a bad filmmaker per se, but uh, it certainly posits him as a little more limited uh, than ultimately we would all like to admit that he is. He is absolutely, and and I'd said that to my kids um, because I'd said to Teresa, I, you know, talk to the boys about the film and it's not. So that you know, it used to be my favorite film. And Teresa said, when did it change for you? And I said, well, when I started wanting different things from film, like, um, and I said, I said to the kids, I used that, you know, whole high school sweetheart thing. And um, because Braden said, he's my favorite filmmaker after seeing two films. But, and, and I love that because I said it was a ga- it was a gateway, right? It was a ga- I'm not going to let him watch Pulp or Reservoir. Right. For, that's high school for me. Like this was, this is cartoony enough that it's, it's a very simplistic kind of revenge thing. But um yeah, I, I've talked about this show before. I don't need to go into too much or detail, but um, I just want different things. Not that I'm more mature or anything silly like that. It's just, uh, other than Jackie Brown, I don't see enough nuance or things that I'm looking for in film. Um, and you know what's interesting, too? Can I just say one thing as a, as a side note? Because I think about this now as my tastes are sort of evolving and and not not evolving or changing. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Develop it? And, uh, De- no, because that that would sort of. Yeah. Well, I guess changing would pretty. Change. Much I guess changing is probably the best word. But as my taste changes, I get older, mm-hmm. um, and I find more sort of revenge films and and action films and things to be redundant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at people like uh, Ebert or other critics who later on in life they tended to roll their eyes at at certain films, not at genres, because I think Ebert was always uh, embraced genre films, but 
people were very hard on him, thinking he was old, he lost his touch, and he, he was just, he was a clueless old man. But I think as I get older, I'm looking for some different things in my films, and it's the same reason I can appreciate Bergman more now than I, when I was 25. Uh-huh, because uh-huh. sort of the sort of the emotional uh, insight, the emotional honesty that his films give me is something maybe that um, resonates more with me now than uh, a white knuckle roaring rampage of revenge, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, it also uh, that also is you know because Bergman uh, he grew along with his films, and you grew along with watching his films so you're going to get a little bit more out of it because you know in certain ways anyway I think um, you know you're closer in age to the filmmaker mm-hmm. so you, you tend to grasp a little bit more of what they're doing or you appreciate a little bit more of what they're uh, what they're doing with, uh, with uh, their stories their mediums their films sure and don't get me wrong go ahead no 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 I was going to say, don't get me wrong. I was absolutely exhilarated at the um, the trailer fight between L and Beatrix, and I, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I was just I had chills watching it. Like it was just, you know, there are certain things that Tarantino does that I'll, I'll always love. But well, oh. it, yeah, he's 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 a, an extremely talented filmmaker. He's just not really going anywhere with it. No, he, he's content. You know what it is? He's content to play the same three or four songs. Same two songs, right? And it was great, but, you know, it's much like when you, you follow a band or something, you know, they have a sound, and he's very content to stick with that sound. Or, you know, for me, I you maybe want him to expand, because I think there's, there's enough. But, you know, what are we going to say? Uh, we've spilled enough digital ink on him on our show. Um, anything else before we take a break? No, sir. Let's take a short break, come back, and... Go to Hong Kong in 1981. Samuel Hung's The Prodigal Son. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the GGTMC. First up this week is a film that uh, we've probably been circling around for quite some time. Um, 1981's The Prodigal Son. Initially, this was going to be sort of a Christmas, uh, a Christmas uh, film, simply because of the, the title itself and the story in the Bible and so forth. Um, uh, Nothing I'm a churchgoer. Not there's anything wrong with being a churchgoer, but uh, I just felt like it would be fun to kind of 
try to find tenuously linked films to Christmas uh, to cover that aren't actually Christmas films. So <laughs> true to form, it didn't work out, and we're, we're, we're reviewing this thing in mid-January. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Um, but any excuse to get Golden Harvest, Samo Hung, Lam Ching. I expected you to say Golden Shower. Mm, well, I don't know what that says about you, Just but... Actually, I know, I'm right? I know what that, that says. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying I keep expecting you to say it. This is true. I wonder if uh, which of the three leads would have been most into a golden shower. Uh, huh. um, wow. Uh, uh what's his name? Uh, Lam Ching Ying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's my bet. Um, this one stars Yun Biao, who is criminally underappreciated. Uh, Lam Ching Ying, who has been on our show before with Mr. Vampire, maybe something else, but just a tremendous uh, presence on screen. And of course, Samo is Samo. Um, so yeah, 1981. This is one that uh, on the surface looks a little bit um, formulaic, and uh, well, I don't think it's the greatest uh, kung fu film ever. I think it's very fun and uh, yeah, anyway, I'll quit rambling. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this one. Alrighty. Um, oh, unless, of course, you wanted me to lead on it, I should say. No, no, that's fine. Okay, cool, I'm cool. Perfectly fine with this. Good man. Uh, okay, so I love the live-action freeze frame uh, that opens the film. Yes. Um, it's just one of those nice little touches uh, for those of us who are, are big on freeze frames. Uh, not just the Jay Giles, but the other kind. <laughs> uh, all kinds. <laughs> Uh, I love that uh, this thing is set up to be the classic kung fu master uh, Chang is, uh, who's filled with hubris. Um, but you get that little twist, uh, you know, going on. Which should we give it away? Because it's kind of. Uh, um, I don't. Well, I'm not gonna. Give, I'm, not, I'm gonna try as hard as I can not to give it away. It's there's, gonna be. There's a little. There's a little because it, it does become readily apparent very very early on. But. And it's in the uh, synopsis on IMDb. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Well, okay then. Uh, the little twist is that uh, people are paid to lose to him, uh, so he's just you know, he is a charlatan, even though he unintentionally, to, yeah, <laughs> an unwitting charlatan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his pal uh, is made to look like a pig. Uh, his, you know, he's made the made up to look like a pig uh, because all the characters are kind of cartoonish. Uh, it fits the the more or less light tone. I mean, it does kind of get into a couple of things a little bit darker, but not too dark. It's still very, very. Um, it's broad. Uh, it is stylish, uh, and it's you know very expertly made. Sammo Hung does not really get too wild um, in terms of how he's shooting, but he shoots it so very, very well. Uh, you know, it's one of those great. Uh, Hallmarks of, uh, I guess you could call them underrated filmmakers, uh, for you not to notice their style, uh, but still be massively entertained by just about uh, everything that they put their hand to. Um, of course, you know there are you know things like the gender confusion thing at the opera with the uh, opera f- uh, performer uh, played by. Lam Ching Ying. Yang, thank you. Yes. Um, and you know, it's that it, it's very, very. It's also very, very uh, Asian in that way, or Chinese in that way. 
you know, of course, it throws around the uh, the homosexual epithet a couple times. Yeah. Uh, there, here, there. Um, but it also, I mean, when it does it, it's coming from it's coming from uh, a, a character who certainly has feelings for the other character, and it almost feels like not necessarily that you would you wouldn't really excuse it, but you kind of get why he's saying this because mm-hmm. he's kind of, you know known him mm-hmm. his entire life. So there's a little bit of of a, a connection there more than it simply being to throw it out there, right? I mean, yeah. does it make yeah. sense? Um, you know, so oh, uh, Pai Wei uh, was the snake from Five Deadly Venoms. I was going to tell you that earlier, and even uh, though I normally will just barge in, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to barge in. Yeah, I always forget his name. Uh, yeah, but yeah he's, uh, he shows up here as one of the uh, Peking Opera guys. Yeah, there's um, a few fun uh, kind of uh, familiar faces, right? Like Dick Way shows up as a henchman, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, for trained eyes of Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong of Hong Kong cinema. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, some faces in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, really, kind of the, the great thing that it, that's going on with this film, uh, at least from my perspective, is this, I think that it's brilliant how Hung kind of plays with kung fu conventions and genre. Yes. Um, you know, there's like that uh, that sequence where uh, uh, Chang and uh, Yi Tai, who's the uh, left character, uh, do a song and dance. Uh, when Chang, who's the Yun Biao character, uh, confronts him. Uh, so keep talking, keep talking, one second. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, and it's not really Chang's fault uh, that he sucks at Kung Fu, it's his parents' fault for being insanely overprotective. Uh, so I started to wonder, because of the, uh, the, the, the American name for this thing, Prodigal Son, uh, it doesn't really stick uh, in terms of any kind of real literal uh, sense, at least not for me. Um, but that's just a, a really kind of a neither neither here nor there thing. Neither here nor there thing. Seeing as how we're kind of only choosing it for our Christmas episode um, because of uh, that kind of tenuous relationship, um, and then you get uh, the uh, the. The friend to uh, the Yun Biao character, who I'm calling Fatty. Uh, I don't know that he was called anything besides that in the film, if he's called anything at all. Uh, you know, is uh, is actually a good friend uh, to uh, to Yun Biao's character. He actually, you know, does care about him as a friend, uh, aside from just being somebody who has been uh, paid to uh, kind of uh, work behind the scenes uh, to safe, quote-unquote, uh, for uh, for his parents, or for his father. Yes. Uh, but the, the whole... The funny thing is, that, you know, the whole charlatan angle gets resolved in, like, the first 20 minutes, and the movie moves along, you know, just that quickly, that it just goes into the next uh, piece of it where you start to get more involved uh, between the, uh, the Lam Ching Ying character and the Biao character, and then Hung's character. Uh, and what's going on, you know, with those guys? And uh, you know, I like that the Chang has to learn things in a roundabout way. Uh, it's sort of like the Karate Kid uh, in a little bit of in a in a sort of way, um, and not quite in the wax on wax off sort of, uh, not quite that uh, uh, direct, 
but uh, you know, it's just one of those. I like those things. I think where you know the, the guy is showing somebody something, then he learns something from that. Um, and, and it's not an outright lesson. And yes, exactly. It's not an obvious lesson. It's a it's a, a way to it's a way to rethink uh, teaching and learning. Right. I mean, it's, correct. Yeah. It's rather than just you know reading from a book. You know, it's kind of give them a little bit of a different uh, route to uh, to get to the same destination. I think by 1981 as well. I mean, we'd seen, and certainly, you know, even we as viewers, um, you know, by this point, uh, not to say we were watching films that age, but this is a clumsy way of me saying Sammo Hung, I'm sure, was aware of all the kung fu films that had come before this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, let's face it, I mean, a lot of us, uh, Zamfir agrees, uh, a lot of kung fu films are great. However, they tend to follow a formula. And oh, yeah. Yeah. this one on the surface, because of its um, time period, looks like it could very well go down that path. But unlike a lot of them that it's looking for revenge, it's looking to reclaim the honor of your um, of your house or your your school there's none of that uh, he, our lead character isn't uh, he's not someone who doesn't fight and then gets trained to fight he loves to fight he's just terrible yep. at it yep. and gets taught things in a pretty ingenious way because he's he has to realize things and learn things without being banged over the head by them. Like he has to come to a lot of these discoveries on his own and Well he uh, also has to he also has to he has to find out that the way that he had quote unquote been trained previously uh, was sort of the wrong way of thinking about it. The way that he led his life before was correct. the wrong way of thinking about it. You know, he has to come to a new way of thinking not only in the martial arts aspect but in you know his just life in general, which in and of itself isn't that sort of one of the big um, tenets or the the large sort of overriding philosophies with um, martial arts is uh, perspective and outlook on life and how you approach life on the whole and how th- these um, arts apply to your day to day living right and it does this yeah. in a it's sort of a very uh, in a way kind of subversive the way he, he he's discreetly putting things out there he's allowing uh, Yoon to be to have a the aha moment for himself which which is good and, and again it's not in a very overweight and then the film kind of twists like you said um, where we've had one master and now we mm-hmm. get another master yes uh, another teacher another Sifu and yeah absolutely they are and um which isn't something you really see a lot, right? It's it's usually one, and now we get two. And then even our heavy in this film isn't really a heavy. Like if you look at the facts, no, he's, he's not. Given, a, he's given he's given a bit. He's given a lot more nuance than you might uh, expect to see in a, a movie. A lot more nuance and a lot more jewelry. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and he's not really a black hat. No. He likes to no. fight. He there's some things happen which are incredibly dishonorable, and he immediately tries to make them right as best he can well the, the thing is that you know all of these things the the reasons that these guys get into this stuff in the first place um are because of their parents right and because of lung chang's blind yimbiao's character his sort of blind uh, or his misguided braggadocio right like 
mm-hmm. he thinks he's the the best fighter in the land, and right, he's but, he, so, but he came to that but because of his parents. Because, yes, exactly. His father. Exactly. Yes. These guys didn't, you know, they, they didn't, you know, had their parents been more uh, forthright with them or more, you know, allowed them to, you know, kind of live their lives the way that they wanted to, they may not have gotten into these sort of things. They may have. They may uh, have. It, they may have as well. They may have gone down a completely different path and just been, you know, exactly what they appeared to be at the beginning of the film. Is this too much to state that this is <laughs> Sammo Hung's commentary on Chinese patriarchal society? And the misguided um, rearing of the male in Chinese society, uh, and how I don't, it. Can... <laughs> I don't think that's not. I don't think that's actually a uh, a misinterpretation of the film at all. Whether or not he intended it, but certainly in uh, in from the the uh, the perspective of the Lam Ching Ying character. Well, precisely someone who um, is in who by his own maybe his own feeling and also. Maybe his own life experiences is uh, an outsider or a self-imposed sort of a self-imposed exile or uh, on the outside looking in by choice. Maybe initially not, but now by choice, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, no, it is interesting. It, it begs a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Um, the I love the uh, the Cato slash Clouseau sneak attack aspect uh, <laughs> yeah. to the film. I yeah. love that. Love it. Um, that's between uh, Chang and, uh, and Fatty or whoever his, uh, his pal's name is. Um, at least I, I think it was him. Anyway, uh, regardless. Uh, there's the, the henchman with the Mr. T haircut. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was outstanding. Yes, indeed. Um, he, that, just, that stuck out like a sore thumb. Uh, yeah. But in a good way. Uh, so, there was a two uh, of them, wasn't there? There was two of them, uh, but only the one had this specific haircut. And there seems to be almost like a Looney Tunes, um, very, which is again par for the course a little bit. Um, he almost makes the a lot of the secondary characters they're cartoonish with very physically, like very obvious physical kind of calling cards. These are humongous moles. This the red yeah. noses. Yeah. The, it looked like um, like the page or the the assistant to uh, Yun Biao's character almost had like chew or like chewing tobacco in the sides of his mouth all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like he was made up to look like a pig, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Jowls and everything. They're very cartoony. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so is uh, and at least in the the dub that I saw. I mean, it's a certainly uh, the Lam Ching Ying character is to a certain extent as well. Uh, and that, speaking of that, there's you know there does seem to be at least an undercurrent, uh, a certain quasi gay bromance developing between uh, the Lam Ching Ying and Yun Biao characters. Yeah. Although it, it never really you know, it never really goes that way, obviously. But uh, it, it you know it, it does kind of lie there underneath the surface. Um, so that's you know another little uh, another little shade of gray to the uh, the film. Um, Absolutely. And naturally, I think that uh, Samo threatens to steal the show, if not just flat out steals it once he shows up. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, watching that guy move is like just poetry in motion. Uh, well, Thomas Dolby. He is like a wrecking ball that is highly proficient in ballet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just it, 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 I'm always amazed every time I see him doing his thing. Um, so of course, you know, Samo and uh, and. Lam Ching Ying uh, are brothers, you know, and it's it's purely that masculine-feminine 
uh, yin-yang sort of uh, dichotomy that the two uh, bring to the film as they're the, the co-teachers, co-sifus of, uh, of the Yun-Biao character. Uh, and it's like we've been saying, you know, you do feel something for the characters uh, in the film, not just not just for Biao. And, and speaking of which, I would go so far as to say that Biao, uh, Biao's character gets kind of left in the shadows uh, by, uh, by Hung and uh, Lam Chi Ying. Yeah, a little bit, which has always been sort of Yin Biao's, you know, I think he's the, he's the poster boy for sort of bridesmaid. And, yeah, you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, perfectly, perfect analogy, perfect. Um, Hung, of course, as a filmmaker, makes uh, great use of slow-mo, uh, and, you know, we get a, a lot of it in this one. Um, but then, you know, the end feels uh, abrupt once we get there. You know, um, Hung just literally uh, just exits the film, uh, and the victory uh, doesn't quite seem earned. Um, you know, we never see um, we never see Biao and this is what I was kind of you know getting to earlier uh, we never quite see him hit the master level during the training right no. and, and this possibly this very possibly could be um, a result of uh, just Chinese film editing style in general uh, they don't connect dots quite the same way that Europeans or American uh, filmmakers do Mm-hmm. So they're willing to they're willing to skip certain chunks of exposition, and their audiences will just naturally take it in because that's the the style uh, that they've you know been uh, been what's the word I'm looking for developed by. Uh, no, it's not the right way of saying that. Uh, I didn't get a company, but um, it's the, it's the thing they've become accustomed to. Sure. Um, in, in, uh, to do that. So I mean, at least as far as from my own perspective I think it just kind of stops and I think that was kind of a, a, a misstep uh, from my perspective but I, I could certainly see other people just you know completely getting uh, getting more out of it uh, I guess from their own uh, their own perspective so uh, and uh, that is everything that I got buddy alright I don't have a ton more to add um Frankie Chan. Well, really, yeah, I mean, what, what, what the film has is, is pretty. Uh, there is subtext going on in this thing. Would you? Um, I th- yeah, there is. There is some. It's almost like um, uh, you could look at this as like um, really good French vanilla ice cream with um, blueberries in it. Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's simplistic enough, but there's it, it yeah. does it very well. And like I said, it does rejig things enough or play with genre expectations or subtly or not so subtly shift well it's kind of like tropes. it's kind of like those uh, it's kind of like those um, those condo vacations that they offer here they're like we'll give you a vacation in like Maui if you go to a uh, presentation that we have about selling you timeshares yeah yeah like, alright then you go and you gotta sit through the timeshare but then you know you get to have a vacation in Maui, and that's sure. kind of that's kind of how it. Uh, that's probably a horrible analogy, but uh, that's kind of how I think of this uh, this film working. Uh, no, no, I got gotcha. you. As well as it does. Yeah, it it, it insists on the traditional framework mm-hmm. to give you something good. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. Um, what do I got? So I think the cinematography, at least early on, is a little more proficient and a little more um, fluid than we're used to seeing, right? A lot of times with, with the kung fu films, they're not really known for their cinematography. I mean, they're known for shooting um, their fights well because they allow skilled people, they pull back the camera and allow them to do what they do. But that's not really cinematography as it is just putting the camera um, on a tripod or you know a few different cameras and and allowing it to unfold through uh, the physical skills that their the performers have. But um, the moment, there's a couple of things I really like. There's a musical number early on when it's still sort of opera house stuff, mm-hmm. when it almost feels like a Gene Kelly MGM thing, when uh, Lam Ching being very playful, um, uh, sort of as the back and forth when he's, ooh, yeah. wait a second here. What? Let me just see something. This better be recording. <laughs> oh, that would suck. Uh, one, ten, yes, okay, it looks like it still is. Good deal. Let's hope. Uh, otherwise, we're getting a one-review show this week. Um, yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a bit playful. He's painting their faces. and yeah. I don't know. It just reminds me a little bit Gene Kelly, and I think... Or, well, even, uh, or even somebody like... Uh, uh, one of the silent uh, film stars. Uh, the physicality of a Keaton yeah. or a Lloyd or yeah, Chaplin. Yeah, exactly. Not so much, I mean, not so much Lloyd, but much, Chaplin or Keaton. Very much, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's very much what um, what the, the you know, martial arts films tend to uh, mimic. Absolutely. Or what they, where they get a lot of their inspiration from mm-hmm. would be the silent uh, era uh, guys like Keaton. Absolutely, and that's always what they're indebted to. But this, there's a little bit of Gene Kelly, and uh, I even get like a little bit like um, like Odd Couple, you know, the way um, Mathau and and I was gonna say Mathau and, um, and Samo. I was gonna say <laughs> Mathau. The way Samo and um, Lem Ching-Ying kind of bicker, it, it's almost like a little bit Odd Couple-y to me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Their chemistry. Um, but yeah, the camera's goodness I mentioned. It's funny. It feels like there's a moment when I don't know if it was like the the attack on the opera house or whatever, but it feels like they like they lifted some Barry Devores on uh, stuff from the Warriors. I don't know. Very uh, weird. A little bit. It, the, the the soundtrack does hop around a lot. It does, like Chinese vampires. Uh huh. Um, there is some brutal violence in this. Some throats that are slit and there's a pretty crazy scene with some fire which you know is real oh yeah Uh, that was insane yeah it totally was it totally was um what else you've kind of touched on a lot of the stuff here one thing i want to really commend is a lot of times with the the kung fu you see it's exceptional this is no different but one thing that stood out even to dive deeper is the footwork you see. Oh yeah. Like yeah. a lot of the intricacy and speed and technical proficiency with the footwork. Yeah. Because Yun Biao has always been known for it being very um, acrobatic. Lam Ching Ying is very elegant. He is uh, he's like the Gene Kelly of of uh, of Hong Kong cinema to me, like in a lot of ways. Um, or like the um, who was the dude that played um, in Remo Williams? Joel Gray. Uh, Joel Gray. If Joel Gray was like. A much bigger actor. Or well, Joel is big on the stage, I guess, but um, he kind of like that. Like he's got this, or even like maybe not even maybe instead of you know what Samo is Gene Kelly, and um, um, Lam Ching Ying is like Fred Astaire. 
Yeah. Maybe that's more in line. Well, that makes yeah, that makes a lot more yeah. More because yeah. Kelly was a, a very uh, muscular physical, guy, muscular. There was more light. graceful. Yeah. yeah. Did you know Lam Ching Ying was Bruce Lee's personal assistant? I did not know that. Yeah, they were they were dear friends, um, and Lam Ching Ying. Uh, yeah, they were good friends. He was his assistant. He worked with him on the choreography for uh, all of his movies. Um, nice. Yeah, so he actually they they became friends because. Off. Um, they became friends because Lamb didn't think Bruce Lee was as strong as everyone was saying he was. So he went, put a pillow, pillow over his chest and stomach, and uh, Bruce kicked the pillow and sent him flying across the room. And yeah, Lamb uh, was his uh, personal assistant after that. So these, nice. have, yeah, they were good friends. Um, so anyway, uh, but yeah, I like that sort of that contrast between the two. I think, too, that one of the things you see here that, again, maybe unintentional, but the fragility or the sensitivity of the male ego when you get sort of the threes company, mm-hmm. right? You kind of see that with uh, with both of them. Like, even though Lamb wants him to be taught by Samo, um, there's still a little bit of this, like, little kind of male jealousy thing going on. Well, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to admit it, right? No, of course not. That, he doesn't want to admit that he would like to uh, partake in this thing. You know, because kind of uh, uh, the come here, come here, come here, go away, go away, go away, kind of. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And I also like to one of the insights that trained eyes would have is Samo says to Yin Biao, he says, you know, uh, Lam Ching Ying's character is great at fighting in close quarters. Yeah. Or no, maybe maybe Lamb. No, no, uh, uh, the, the opposite. Samo's the is the close quarters guy. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, because he's he's the the. Yeah, he could do like anything. The the uh, Lamb Ching Ying was like the kicks guy. Well, no, but but Lamb Ching Ying. No, Samo says to Yun Biao. Oh, why oh, do you oh, think oh. that Lamb Ching Ying always fights in close quarters? Right, because he's right, not very right, strong right. and he needs to counterpunch and everything. Whereas I'm my size, I can take on anyone, so I can fight further back. Do you remember he said? Anyway, it's near the back end of the film he says that. Um, but anyway, it was just an interesting thing, to, like an insight to look at philosophy, we, so. philosophy and compensating for physical shortcomings that we as the people that love cooking for films but aren't, you know, seafoods or anything, just to see that you know, to see that, uh, the depth of uh, knowledge that goes into that. Yeah, play um, to your strengths. Play to your strengths, absolutely. Um, there's a great, uh, <laughs> what's his name? I want to say, too, i got to give it up to, uh, as we said, Frankie Chan, because he was a pretty celebrated composer in Hong Kong. Like, he did a lot of the scoring for Hong Kong film, like uh, Shaw Brothers films. He added to the, um, the Chungking Express uh, score, he, he scored like 300 films or something, but he does these great Angus Young splits at the end of the film, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty amazing. And uh, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. So let's, okay. uh, let's, let's close it off. All righty. Uh, let's see. Make a break for me is the training montage, uh, because I just absolutely love how Lam, uh, Ching Ying, and uh, Sammo Hung play off each other marvelously. Um... MVT is uh, Lam Ching Ying. Uh, I think he's the heart of the film. Uh, and, you know, obviously, as we 
kind of been dancing around here. He's uh, pretty uber talented. Uh, as much as uh, a lot of the credit should go to Samo. Uh, Hung, as the, the guy behind him. Um, mm-hmm. And score for me is an eight out of ten. Nice. Uh, I really, really dug this thing. I'm glad I, uh, I'm glad I finally saw it. So, yeah, good deal. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, I would say it could probably tighten up about ten or fifteen minutes. A little, yeah. It, you yeah. know, it's it feels about ten well, or fifteen minutes to me. If I really was going to get down to it, I mean, I'm sure that I could, I could find. Uh, multiple things uh, that could probably use a good ratchet on them. Absolutely. Uh, sort of. Uh, uh, but, but, but not. But nothing. But there's really nothing egregious enough that would that should uh, deprive anybody of uh, of seeking this thing out. I would say too. I don't think it's a good introductory kung fu film. No. Because it no. doesn't have a ton of fights, and it's it's more. It's a subtle sort of repurposing of a lot of the tropes and conventions of the genre. Um, Gives you something a little different that is subtly different, right? So yeah, learn learn the rules before you break them, kind of. Right, 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 hundred percent. So I would say that. But my make or break is the scene first scene at the opera house when um, Lam Ching Ying is kind of schooling. Uh, I think it was was it Frankie Chan and no no or was it anyway? He was schooling these guys. He's painting their faces and he's just embarrassing them. And it takes a lot of skill to make something look so effortless. Yeah. Yeah, and he does. He makes he it look does. like it was, you know, falling off a log. He does, absolutely. What if, if, if you or I were to oh, man. try shit like that? We'd look like buffoons. Uh, amongst other, amongst pulling groin muscles and this, that, and the other thing. Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, my MVT is also Lam Ching Ying. To me, this is an actor that I think that um, he had a lot more emotional depth. That he was, to, to me, just so skilled. And... I would have loved to have seen some serious-minded filmmakers get him and use him. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it took me a while to figure out uh, who he was mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, and that uh, you know, I had seen him previously in Mr. Vampire because because with the uh, you know the eyebrows being shaved off and everything else, I was oh, just yeah. like, why do I know this guy? Why do I know this guy? And it took me a little bit to to get it together. Oh, big time, big time. Um, but it, it, to me, he's just, he's so good and he, uh, love you. Uh, he's so good. And I, I just, love you too. <laughs> I love you too. Um, and I just think that he could have been used in more serious light as well. Um, did we, we've also, he's been on the show before with her vengeance. So this might've been his third appearance on here. Um, but anyway, I, I'm a big fan of his and you know, as much as I adore Samo and as much as, you know, I wanted this to be sort of a, a proclamation for how great Yun Biao is, and he is, because he had to double for um, uh, what's his name at the end of the film. Like it was weird; they had someone doubling for him, and then he was doubling for um, what's his name there at the end. Uh, oh, I'll be all right. Uh, <laughs> the heavy or the quote-unquote heavy in the film. Um, Oh, uh... Frankie Chan. He had to double for Frankie Chan in spots, right? So stuff that was more um, offensive from Chan, he had to kind of do both. So kudos to him. So it's ironic and maybe fitting in a sad way that my MBT is also Lam Ching Ying. It's not the eternal Hong Kong bridesmaid, Yun Biao. Um, <laughs> I still want to talk about On the Run sometime. That's sort of a more 80s, pulpy intense crime film Hong Kong crime film with him okay uh, what, was the, what was the one that he did um, 
it's like Phoenix. Oh, shit. I oh it. yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's what's his name? Uh, Choi Hawk, I think. Uh, or it's like yeah. a Choi Hockey kind of film. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I can't think of the name of it, but it's pretty bonkers and pretty fun. Yeah, there's that one, a Deadful Melody. He Deadful was, Melody. Uh, he he's tremendous. Like I mean, he is he is so he can do things that like no one else can do. I mean, he's so acrobatic. Um, he's really great. But yeah, just Lam Ying is a little silkier, man, a little smoother, and uh, like oh, I yeah, said, yeah. just a little more Peacock heart. King. Peacock. Peacock King. That's it. Not Mikey, of course. Ah uh, no. <laughs> that's metal king that's the metal king exactly so yeah that's uh that is um uh that is me stumbling and bumbling across the finish line here of uh, the prodigal son we're gonna come right back and talk about phenomena we'll be right back Welcome back to the GGTMC. We are about to get very bonkers. We're going to be talking about... We're going to go ape even. You we're going to go ape uh, We are going to talk about what Dario Argento has called his favorite of his films. <laughs> I'm not even lying. Um, you might hear from that groan very differing opinions on this one. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I will say this. I used to have uh, the one sheet of this uh, for the uh, when it was called Creepers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of way, way back in the day. Like before yeah. I'd even seen the damn movie. Nice. 
Very nice. Yeah, this uh, pretty pretty famous poster from our childhood. Now my dog's tearing shit up again. Amazing. She's eating Pokemon package wrappers. That's enough. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, do you want to synopsize this one? or do you want... uh, We could do that. Uh, a young girl with an amazing ability to communicate with insects is transferred to an exclusive Swiss boarding school where her unusual capability might help solve a string of murders. All right. So... It's no secret that I love Dario Argento. Mm -hmm. I would say he, I would count him among my maybe five, definitely ten favorite filmmakers. Okay. I adore him. Um, he was one of them, when I, I had a chance to meet him some time ago, and it was one of the few times I really, I was at a loss for words, which if you know me and you do, it's rare. Um... I wanted to cover this one for some time, and we were kind of scrambling not too long ago. Um, hang on, wash your hands, please. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> wasn't going to turn down then for that. I'm going to save him on air. Um, <laughs> and uh, this one was on Shutter, right? So I thought, all right, great, let's roll with it. Um, and of course, we are going to call this episode "The Phenomenal Sun." Um, nice. So. Uh, where to begin? So this is mid-80s, right? So the Argento we know and love and the Italian horror we know and love is kind of on the de decline here. Like even stuff like Zombie and so forth was at like 80, 81, you know, City of the Living Dead, stuff like that's like 82. Like it's, this is now in the, I wouldn't even say the back nine, but like the back three holes of of the kind of the glory days of Italian. I mean, you get a few people fighting a good fight, like Michele Suave, but, you know, it's uh, kind of in the, the, the latter stages here. So, um, one thing that isn't really discussed that I said, said to my kids, and even my kids, you know, they're kids, so like they've seen crazy things in cartoons, and yeah. when I explained to them that I said, let's watch, let's watch this movie, because I thought it was one of the few Argentos that they could watch, um, save for one or two scenes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't too worried about the effects, because, you know, we always pause stuff and say, how do you think they did these effects? And it's not as lurid as some of his stuff. Um, and other than that scene in the car when Jennifer Connelly gets kind of uh, lost in town or whatever, mm. there's that kind of scene, but otherwise it's pretty tame. And they're big Halloween fans, so... In order to see Loomis was uh, going to be a big draw. Yeah. yeah. So I said this, well, but it, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. It's pretty tame up until a certain tipping point. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they did end up watching it. They watched it what, 15 minutes with me. Um, okay. I said to them, this about a young girl. Um, she has a psychic link with insects, and she solves some murders with a chimp <laughs> and Doctor Loomis. And they looked at me like. What did you just say? Why have you been holding out on this? Yeah, and like, how is this so bonkers? That's bonkers even for us. So I'll say this. This to me is, um, this to me is, like, just think about that for a sec. We're talking oh, about yeah. a film. Like, the insect telepathy thing would have been enough. Yep. The Nancy Drew aspect would have been kind of fun on its own but now you get like a chimp working for the side of good and 
I gotta shut the door. Give me one second here. Bear with me. <laughs> kind of like a detective. DC. Guys, keep it down. A little bit. And I think uh, I uh, Connolly came to this because uh, Leone had uh, recommended her to uh, to him uh, after using her in uh, Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't so know that's that. how she got involved with the the film. I didn't know that, and to this day, I, you know, I think this has a pretty good release out, doesn't it? Like Arrow or uh, Second Set. Put out a, a steel book with like five different versions of the movie. Yeah, because there's um, creepers. There's a, cuts, yeah. Yeah, there's a few different cuts. I'm not sure which cut is on Shutter, but it does look good. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the Shutter cut? I did not. I have the Synapse, uh, synapse however you want to pronounce it, Steelbook. So. It, lots of lots of supplemental features, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, it's got a decent amount. Nice. Um, so the film opens, and one thing that never really struck me before is how sort of the bare-bones framework of this is very similar to Suspiria, right? Well, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, the opening is, uh, is you know, you get that desolate isolation sort of thing. Uh, you know, and of course, we get a pubescent girl in danger. Uh, you know, one of the things you can say about Argento is he knew how to edit, right? And, uh, and the, the opening of that is... Uh, you see that as much in, in Suspiria as you do in this one, you know, with that heavy uh, Hitchcock influence, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, a little bit of gore in there as well. You know, he gives you he gives you a little bit of beauty, a little bit of gore, kind of sets you uh, sets you on your way. Yeah, he does, and yeah, he, he wrote this, he directed it, he produced it. You know, he wore a lot of hats with this. Um, his wife was involved, Daria. Um, the mountains in this look tremendous, right? He's, he's, you know, really being in such close proximity. I mean, you can get. Well, that was that that was shot in northern Italy or Switzerland, was it? The the uh, the opening piece, the stuff like out there in the mountains, I believe, was actually shot. Did in I say Europe. Austria? Uh, I think Austria would have been Suspiria, right? Yeah, or Germany, Austria, Germany. Anyway. Regardless, <laughs> we're in Switzerland. Yes. Uh, yeah, but they look tremendous. Uh, yeah. This, so I, for some reason, it never really struck me the similarity to Suspiria, the way it's sort of the basic framework. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know another we'll thing. Go ahead. No, no, please, please, please. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, I was going to say another thing too. Watching the beginning of this film, and it is well edited, um, is how if the te- drone technology had have been around back then. I think Argento would have really, really utilized it because there's some kind of floating camera stuff that feels very supernatural. And mm-hmm. um, Argento likes to convey certain things with his camera in terms of what they're doing. And I just imagined him with drones going through that waterfall and everything. And it uh, would have been it would have been pretty good. It would have been pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, um, he likes to he likes to mix that sort of. Uh naturalistic sort of beauty uh, or, or you know artistic world sort of beauty uh, he loves to mix that up with um, you know really grisly tableau kind of uh, yes. things you know close ups of weapons stabbing heads going through windows uh, you know there's that the, he loves that fetishization of uh, murder weapons like uh, 
kind of like an 80s action film Mad Max or with an like, Uzi or like a yeah yeah but he he loves to he, he also loves to you know set his horror movies in either you know um, in either some kind of artistic world like uh, Profondoroso and Tenebrae and uh, uh, literary or yeah, dance yeah, yeah. or or art or you know uh, it's either that or uh, in an all girls school uh, you know so like uh like this one here and uh, and Suspiria and that sort of thing. And the other thing he does certainly is Stranger in a Strange Land. Typically it's Americans or Brits or whomever in Italy. Mm-hmm. But when he takes it out of Italy, it's you know either an Italian or an American or someone in Germany or Austria or in Switzerland. Yes. So the Stranger it, it certainly adds that element of um, you're on your own. Yeah. Yeah. So well, you, it's, it's funny you use the you use the phrase uh, "stranger in a strange land" because as soon as you said it just now, I immediately thought of Iron Maiden. Which, speaking of Iron Maiden, yes, uh, they make they make an appearance. In this film. Well, they, they don't make an appearance. That would be amazing. <laughs> and it happens at several points in time. Yes. Um, and man, um, I don't really you know you know as much as I like flash of the blade uh, I, I really don't think it belongs here uh nor really do any of his metal choices uh or even some of his regular scoring choices in this film yeah uh, i think he kind of uh he kind of misstepped uh in that portion of uh of the production uh in my in my personal opinion you know the funny thing about argento is you know a lot's been said about the metal he used in this and opera which Mm-hmm. I I've watched opera. Last time I watched it was about ten years ago, and it's it's always a missed opportunity for me because I love opera. I think it's got one of the best practical effects sequences with a peephole, like it just wow, insane. But you're making a film called Opera. It takes place in an opera house, and you use nothing but fucking metal, like I mean, uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of. Uh... I don't know. I missed up. And even in here, like the, the music is so over the top. Well, I got, I got no problem with it. But if you're going to use this music, use it in demons. Yeah. Which yeah, it does. It doesn't really. Yeah. But it doesn't work I mean, in it this. Doesn't really, it doesn't. It does not work for this. No. It's. I mean, you know, you can juxtapose, you know, heavier music with kind of softer stuff sometimes. But you know, they can throw Motorhead in and. You know Iron Maiden and stuff, and it just—I don't know. It's—it's a—you know—it's a curious choice, and I guess he was going through some stuff. I don't know if that was um, trying to appeal to a Western audience, if it was trying to, you know, contemporize things. Uh, I'm not sure really what if he was going through his metal phase personally. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but. Um, well, I think that he was just—he was—he was dying to get it in there. So I think he yeah. just kind of shoehorned, you know, shoehorned it in there. Yeah, which is uh, multiple times. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so this was shot in Panavision, right? Um, and it looks great. Like I think there's a lot of stuff where they really take take advantage of. Uh, the sets and you know Argento rarely, except for you know the past decade or so, rarely made or maybe the past twenty years made a cheap-looking film. Usually, his films look pretty good, even if they. Oh, my dog's turning an old candy cane. Buzz off. Um, uh, they rarely look terrible. Like, they usually look pretty good. Um, 
This one shot Panavision. Uh, bear with me here. Um, I think uh, you, I wanted to get back to that weapon thing you said. One thing that never really occurred to me before is I always sort of strictly looked at it that way was the fetishization of the weapon in some ways, but um, or the instrument. But I also think about it now, and I think about how um, showing this weapon, this instrument of death or murder in a close-up allows us as the viewer to see the stakes that are at hand for the suspecting or unsuspecting victim. It's not just they're running and all of a sudden they go, oh, we see this, the scissors in hand. We see these sharp, shiny objects and what these sort of unforgiving metal objects are going to do to flesh that gives way and then, and then he shows us what the it does to the uh, to flesh because he uh, loves showing us that penetration as much as he loves showing the anticipation and I think that that is you know what I'm saying what I said you know a little bit earlier uh, with the heavy uh, Hitchcock influence that you mm-hmm. get in uh, his films along this nature mm-hmm. uh, but he, you know and he also he also does his normal sort of um, uh, visual themes you know water mirror toys uh, all oh, that yeah. kind of stuff they're all in here uh, you know it, it's got pretty much every uh, Argento um, go-to that you can list uh, and you know probably even a couple more that uh, that aren't uh, that you wouldn't normally think of for them like uh, chimps yeah uh, <laughs> yeah big time um, speaking of chimps how about that chimp butt Oh, I was going to say, he's got some serious ass going on. He does. Uh, you know, what would Sammy do? I don't know. You really got to ask that. Yeah. You really got to ask that. That's, That's true. It's, uh, I would have been curious to see what he thought about that chimp butt. Would he shake his hand or do something? Or pat like his ass. Yeah, right? Both. Um, <laughs> why yeah, not? why not both? Uh, how about some of the shots of the trees with the wind blowing and stuff and it's bathing in moonlight? Like, it was a pretty good looking film, I feel like. Um, which, as I said earlier... Um, you can say his films don't make sense, and you know, I'm trying to explain it to my kids about Italian sort of dream logic, and this really does feel dream dreamy in a lot of ways. Not necessarily feverish, but sort of that disembodied or. Well, it's it's in the same way that that Suspiria is kind of that uh, pubescent girl dream nightmare thing. Yes, I think that this is the same thing. That fascination with. Uh, you know the Connolly character becoming her, becoming a woman slowly. Uh, the things you know, the the sort of power fantasies. Um, you know that the revenge fantasy against the people who pick on her because you know they think that she's you know less classy than they are. Um, you know that sort of thing, and I, I think that that really, really, really plays in uh, a lot with this film. What if we take? It's like Argento said. What if I take Carrie? And I take it out of American high school. I put it in a Swiss boarding school. I had a series of grisly murders. I had a chimp detective. I had, <laughs> I had the ability to communicate with insects. Mm-hmm. And that's what you get, right? Like, we get some scenes where she does feel like an outsider. And so that takes away the ability to have her team up with, uh, you know, other girls at the school and so forth. And as uh, to sort of the anxiety 
of youth and teenage years, right? Um, it really yeah, does. Yeah. This is a cleaner film in terms of colors than even Suspiria, where that's heavily saturated. Like this. Well, it's more naturalistic. It's more natural. But I feel like he uses a lot of blues in this one, yeah. uh, a lot of colder colors in this one, um, yeah. as opposed to the warm colors he's used uh, previous. Um, well, and and going back to the uh, the whole the the dream logic thing, and you know the whole. Uh, uh, what he's trying to do here, uh, I, I think it's interesting to you know bring this in here that uh, you know the insects are, are linked specifically with death. Uh, Jen uh, is linked with insects, so Jen's linked with death. Yeah. Um, and certainly that also could be looked at as, uh, uh, in a sense, as a mode of change uh because you know she's transforming in the same way that maggots turn into flies uh you know if you wanted to look at it in that bizarre sort of i'm sure argento way yeah uh, you know of uh, transformation from a girl to a woman mm -hmm. uh, so i did just something to, to point out i will point out that he decapitates his own daughter in this film at the beginning of the waterfall. Yes. And, he, yeah, yeah. and I don't want to spoil anything at the back end, but he's got a few things with his family members, um, <laughs> as he has in the past. Um, but yeah, the, the the weapon thing too, just the brutal rigidity of weapons, right? Which which I kind of yeah, like this. Yeah. Um, how about this is also a bit a little bit Halloween, a little bit labyrinth, a little bit every which way but loose. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of all those things. Um, and I think too, when you mentioned sort of the the teenage girl anxieties, um, yeah. when she starts to say, you know, am I normal, right? She's very feels very misunderstood. Um, well, and then she's picked up by two creepy German guys after getting plowed with their car. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Argento seems to have this ridiculous fixation with. He thinks teenage girls taunt each other by sticking out their tongues. Yeah, yes. That's such a bizarre thing to me. I don't know why. Well, I, mean, you, I mean, you could clearly tell that this was written by like a, a you know, 40-year-old guy. Yeah, some old fuddy-duddy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I mean, this is like when Jack Kirby was writing, uh, you know, hip teen lingo. Uh, yeah. Back in the day. Totally, dude. Totally. Um, you know, one thing I never thought of until watching it this time was um, from the school's perspective, we start to see scenes where uh, Dahlia Di Lazzaro, who is the headmistress, very nice, um, she's kind of, mm, she's concerned with what's happening and, you know, it's in a different filmmaker's hands, this could have been a very different film, especially with more focus on mental health and bullying and isolation at school nowadays that uh, more attention is being paid to, uh, would have been interesting to see if they played down the insect stuff a bit and almost turned it into an unreliable narrator. Uh, possibly. Where, different film, maybe it wouldn't work as well, but I, I, up until I'd seen it this time, I'd never really thought about it from the school's perspective. The worry... <laughs> What's, she, what's going on with her? She's being teased. They, all these crazy things are happening. Right, so. right. Well, but I mean, uh, yeah, but I mean, I don't know that... I guess you would really have to... You would have to do some fancy footsteps uh, to make that work from yeah, that you angle, would. I think. No, you would. That's true. That's true. Uh, Pleasance... And i got to say, 
it's nice to see Donald Pleasant style back. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he really does bring us all to what is in essence a, a very a largely uh, expository role. But I think he provides uh, a he, warmth and humanity to it. Oh, absolutely, he does it. Yeah, no, he does. Uh, you know, he really and he really really obsesses over uh, Rita, like really. Yeah. Um. Yeah, to to a rather unhealthy degree, but. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also part of you know that's also part of why you kind of feel a little bit more for him. Then. Absolutely. I mean, I don't. I think it's just that you know just because he's in a wheelchair, right? I mean, it's not just uh, that you kind of had, you know, quote-unquote, take pity on the cripple kind of thing. You know, it's not that. It's because of uh, the tragedy that he's been through and how he's kind of he's kind of making a connection with this girl. Uh, tenuous as it is, uh, as it is, but regardless. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I talk for about 20 seconds here, Todd. I just... Uh, All right, yeah. Um, I, uh, you know... Jen uh, Connolly shows herself to be really resourceful, if uh, slightly gross. Uh, she winds up eating baby food because she's got no option, and there's, uh, you know, she's, there's a suggestion that she has eaten cat food. Uh, I have not eaten either. Uh, well, I probably ate the one back when I was actually a baby, uh, but the cat food thing, uh, not so much, because I've uh, seen that shit in a tin, and it doesn't look even remotely appetizing but then again i'm the kind of guy that doesn't like looking at uh, or eating tuna uh, out of a can or at all uh, either even if they put it in those little uh, sealable uh, foil bags screw that uh, not a tuna guy um <laughs> uh, yeah so uh, please go ahead um you know the house that uh pleasance lives in it feel like there's a few shots of it where it feels almost like the key um, was it like a storefront in Bird with Crystal Plumage? Yes, yeah, it does. And it's interesting, uh, you know, going along with the uh, the sort of interesting mix of paranormal and thriller uh, that he, he, that he has going on here, it, it also is both gothic and modern. Yes. Um, you know, he gets both of those things, and he, he, he really blends them uh, pretty damn well. He does. So. He does, and I think you know. And again, I never thought about this um, until you mentioned it now. But there's sort of two realms for him. There's his giallo work, and then yes. there's his more supernatural work. Yes. Whereas this isn't supernatural. I mean, it's psychic, whatever realm you want to put that in. But this does combine his two worlds, and maybe that's one of the reasons he loves this film is because he does a tightrope walk between the two yeah. worlds of, of his films and he finally Len, stuck his chocolate in his peanut butter he finally did and that sounded erotic uh, a little a little bit um, but no he did you're right and I think you know for my money it mostly mostly pays off but um, another thing he does really well in here and it's sort of a clean thing you know we talk about often he's lauded for Suspiria and the colors and the lighting and everything but I don't think that um, maybe he's given enough credit in that lighting outside of those sort of very, like the Infernos and the Mother of Tears stuff, uh-huh. how he uses lighting. Because there's moments in this when we're meant to look at the film from Jennifer's perspective and adults are shot and shadowed in a way that makes them seem ominous with the information that they're giving us on screen is is not really ominous, but it's almost like he's conveying the mistrust and the potentially um, 
what's what I'm looking for, like the, the evil, not evil, but the, there's a, sort of an undercurrent of dread or anxiety sinister. or sinister, perfect, with the lighting. He does that really, really well. Um, another thing I've always wondered is how he convinced Jennifer, I'm jumping around here, how he convinced Jennifer Connelly's parents and Jennifer Connelly to allow her to, you know where I'm going with this, in that pool of maggots and slop. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. No, that's fucking, that's vile. Oh, man. And, I, and you know, from a practical perspective, I have to think that he probably only convinced them to do this because he said, look, we're going to shoot it like this. She'll be in there for about 45 seconds, which he probably yeah. turned into 10 minutes. He lied right to their fucking He face. lied to their faces. But the out was that they were going to have, like, a, a fresh water uh, pipe running so she could break off a piece and she could sort of walk, rinse herself off as she was getting out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because she kind of rinses herself off. Um, so, yeah, that's obviously totally poltergeist. He, uh, he out poltergeists poltergeist. Uh, yeah. With that one. Um, and it gets really... If I'm remembering right, I think uh, poltergeist, in poltergeist, they actually use real, uh, real, real skeletons. Oh, man. Well, I wouldn't put it past Dario, too. No, I would not. Absolutely not. So I don't know, but that's crazy. I never knew that. Um, but this, you know, this, the film, like, if the film was crazy before, now it's really getting bananas. Oh, it goes full bore. Like it, that's it goes like full bore, like witchy house of like witches house of horrors. Yeah. And yeah, it feels it really... a bit Zulovsky, like him doing Zulovsky a little bit, with the concrete and the this maze. It almost feels like the. Uh, not Zulowski. Um, well, I guess technically a little bit. Who's the Polish filmmaker that did um, Angst? Or he's Austrian, I think. Oh God! Uh... But it feels like the back end of that with the concrete, or even Aust- even Possession. There's sort of the concrete and the cold feel of it, where she's in this like witch's lair, basically. Yeah. yeah well, in a manner of speaking, and uh, it's pretty intense. Oh my God! Yeah. Like it's really yeah, intense. And then, and then once a certain other character shows up, you're just like, what? The why and fuck? Yeah, when someone swings on? into scene, I mean, it just yeah. And then and then the, yeah, and you know, he 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 lulls you with it's the same thing he's done in Inferno and other films, um, which you know once you know it's coming, it's there and it, but it, it pays off really fun. Uh-huh. Um, and he uses animation in this too, right? Uh, yeah, little, little the, bit of, uh, flies. Yeah, a little bit of animation, but you know, which is funny. Never probably did that too many times. Um, so that's kind of insane. There's a lake of fire. Um, <laughs> there's eyes yeah. sewn shut, flesh being ripped off. I mean, it just um, sheet metal, de- yep. deca- decapitation by way of sheet metal. Yep, yep. Uh, we got that. T- uh, go ahead. Straight razors. Straight razors. We got that timely simian. Yep. <laughs> so we got we have lots going on at the back end here. Anyway, I'll kick it yeah, over to you. It's, it's it's really hard to uh, it's really hard to believe how I mean this this movie really does try to have just about something for everyone uh, as, as <laughs> yeah. long as you're as long as you're really fucked up. Um, yeah. But uh, but it does so you know pretty well. I mean you, you even have that uh, that girl with that fucking Bee Gees T-shirt. Oh man, uh, they fucking love the Bee Gees. And there's even a Richard Gere shout out in this, isn't there? How about it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the Chinese girl uh, loves the Bee Gees, and they all love Richard Gere. They do. Oh, they all love that. Dreamy. That, that American Jiglo. They love that American Jiglo. Um, yeah, and you also get uh, you know you get the classic French teen uh, smoking her fucking brains out. Oh yeah. Uh, 
that's the only. That's how we think of them, right? That, I mean, they just sit there with trays, baguettes, and cigarettes. And that's, sneers yeah. on their face. That is the French. Yeah. Um, I love the. Uh, you know, like we've been saying before, you know, there's that kind of that classic Italian logic. You know, uh, uh, who was it? Pleasant says it's perfectly normal for insects to be slightly telepathic. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, yeah, no, it's not, but yeah, go, go with that if you like. It's Dario's world. We're just living exactly. in it. Exactly. We are just living in it. We're vis- Well, this one we're visiting. Yes. Um, You get uh, that jeweled iron cross on, <laughs> uh, on Jen's jacket, which is, uh, you know, kind of not really punk, but kind of punk. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, when you, when you boil it all down, uh, by the end of the film, I think I felt the most sympathy for the chimp. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just saying. Uh, mm-hmm. Connolly does some very real puking. Yeah. Uh, which you know, going along with how did uh, how did uh, Argento talk her parents into letting them letting him uh, dunk her in that cesspool? Uh, same thing. It's like you know, you're gonna let your however old daughter, uh, you know, actually vomit. Like we're gonna induce vomiting. In your daughter. daughter. Yeah. Uh, for a movie. Um, Does she talk so, on the the supplemental features? Sorry to cut you off. Uh, she does not. I don't believe. I, I don't think she. I think she kind of disavows this one mm. uh, to some extent or another. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't remember seeing her uh, in any of the supplements that I that I managed to to get watched. Okay. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I really haven't got much. I don't, I don't think we've. There's much more that we could really cover. Well, you probably could for. I mean, if we really wanted to get deep, 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 deep. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the failings of the film is I don't think it's really all that great uh, in the pacing department. Yeah, pacing's a little off. It is. Uh, and I think that that really kind of, that drags it down for me a little bit. Uh, so, you know, as much as I love the uh, the, the sprinkles on top of the sundae, um, you know, working your way through it, I get a little bit of an ice cream headache. That's uh, fair. That is the worst analogy I could come up no, with. No, no, that's a good one. I think that's so, a good one. You like the sprinkles more than the uh, Sunday itself. Yes. That's uh, But, uh, you know, I, I do also think that it's kind of an undersung uh, entry in, uh, in Argento's filmography. Uh, certainly people know of it because of its wild kind of, uh, you know, its wilder aspects. Um, but I think that there's a little bit more here uh, than meets the eye. Uh, and it certainly, certainly uh, fits in uh, with the rest of his films um, to some degree or another, uh, perfectly well, and maybe a little more transitional than uh, than standard. Uh, and like we said, you know, it was kind of he was kind of mixing his two uh, his two worlds uh, together on this one, uh, and he came up with this. So not quite a success in my opinion, uh, but certainly one of the more unique films you could see in the Italian uh, horror slash thriller uh, genres. Uh, That's all I got, buddy. I should say, too, there's a scene on the staircase with um, Pleasance's character that's that's fantastic. And it's vintage Argento. Mm -hmm. It's very, like, um, it's very suspenseful. Yeah. I mean, you know how it's going to go, but it's like, oh, man. Right? It's it's a really good, uh, really good sequence. Really good sequence. Yeah, well, he, he knew how to do. I mean, he 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 studied, uh, you know, from the masters, and then he uh, you know made it his own. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he he uh, he learned the rules, and then he broke them as much as he needed to, but he still you know remembered that the rules work for a reason. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, okay, so... Oh, man. I, okay, so make or break, uh, I'm going to go with... Um, the finale I mean sometimes when you get bonkers films when the the finale manages to be there's drama in the house uh, when things somehow manage to become even more bonkers at the back end it's like okay how'd you do that because it yep. really ratchets it up um, yep. whereas, whereas I like lots of stuff I like the opening I love the scene on the staircase with Pleasance uh, harkens to like uh, uh, what is it, blood and black lace a little bit, sort of traditional or conventional. I don't want to get into it too much, but um, uh, but yeah, I mean that's my make or break. My MVT is Super Dario. He, <laughs> it's a me. It's a me. He threw so many insane elements uh, into this film. Like I said, a chimp sidekick detective, uh, telepathy with insects. Um, this boarding school in, in Switzerland. Uh, I mean, just, you know, this... I don't want to spoil some of the other crazy things he, th- he throws in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it, like you said, uh, it's the perfect amalgamation for me of his supernatural stuff with his um, with his uh, giallo stuff. But the only downfall, I think, is, yeah, it, it's um, sort of transition in terms of editing is a little bit clumsy but otherwise i'm okay with it my score it's hard for me to be impartial on this one because i love it so much uh i'm gonna give it an eight out of ten okay all right uh well it's funny because uh both our make and breaks and mvts are exactly the same and for pretty much the exact same reasons uh when i wrote them down yeah oh, well wow. so, yeah the uh, make and break is the ending uh yeah it really does just i mean it it goes <laughs> Balls to the wall, yeah. uh, as they like to say. Turns it up to 11. It really does, yeah. <laughs> um, it does not stop at 10. It does not make 10 louder. It goes for 11. Um, MVT, yeah, it's Argento uh, for Zomphir. Zomphir, He's. I think he had the same maker break in MVT as I think he did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Argento, you know, for his style and willingness to embrace and incorporate some pretty insane ideas into this thing. Uh, score for me is uh, it's going to be lower than you on this one um, because I did come to this a little bit later on uh, in life and also because of I really do think that uh, the pacing and certain uh, things of their time in this thing kind of drag it down a little bit uh, just make it a kind of feel a bit try hard uh, I'm going to go 6.75 out of 10 that's fair so, yeah, I no, think that's a very fair score. Yeah, no. That, well, so is eight. I mean, you could uh, absolutely look at this in multiple, uh, from multiple perspectives. I think your score is is as you admitted. It's it's a very fair, um, objective look at the film. Um, it's hard for me to be a judge as much as I try. Uh, well, sure, but I you mean, know. you don't you know, listen. I mean, uh, film and art are subjective. Absolutely, there's no, reason, there's no reason you have to try to be objective if you if you love something that's a you know that somebody else sees the flaws in. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? That's like you always like to say: the cinematic heart wants what the cinematic heart wants. Absolutely, it does, and I think and certainly this is an example of that. It is, it is, and I think that people listening to our show should know well enough. What we're all about, and I think there's, like you had said, there is something. <laughs> I, I don't see too many of our listeners, like the real sort of true blue listeners, 
hating this film. No, I highly doubt that. It's got enough insanity going for it that, if nothing else, you know, you've seen some things you've never seen in film before. Yep. So even if it's, I guess it's how forgiving you are with the other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, cool. So that's the big show. Um, next week, do we want to get into some toys for tots? Uh, we can. Or do we have other things at play? Uh, Well, I don't know if there's a couple of obligations. There is an obligation. Um, We're going to convene with uh, our favorite... um, Our favorite... Dutch master. Dutch master, yeah. Our favorite chimp... uh, Enthusiast. Enthusiast. Uh, He's going to... Not Donald Pleasant. uh, No, the other one. Unless by way of Ouija board. Um, Yeah, Uh, so Sam, we're going to see if he's going to be able to swing back uh, and do our uh, Diabolic show. And if not, then we'll get into some Toys for Tots. We've got a double feature program by one of our friends in Finland. So uh, I'm going to go keep the peace in the Smith house. Uh, And Todd, this has been fun. I was really dreading getting up. I'm sure you were really dreading staying up. Um, (laughs) But in saying that, I've had a lot of fun, and this is... Yeah, it always is, man. Uh, always, always is. Even so, when we don't agree, even when we clash, yeah, it's but, still always a blast. No, we're still pretty much right there, right? I think, uh, yeah, that's good stuff, man. All right, uh, as always, there is one thing left to say. Arrivederci. Ciao. Bella. Bella. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com